0: Genesis chapter 6 implies there was a race of people on the earth not created by God, that this was in fact a strategy implemented by Satan and his militia of fallen angels. Yet Genesis chapter 2 indicates man's seed is sacred because it creates humans made in the image of God. Herein lies the origins of a war that is being fought both in the heavens and the earth. Although this may sound like a sci-fi script, the physical evidence and eyewitness accounts of these battles date back over 6,000 years up until modern-day observations in 2022. Join us now as we unpack Part 2 of Satan's Strategies in the Gene Pool of Man. I am Mark Russick, and you are listening to The Russick Outlook. As always just my opinion. Hello, good day, everybody. My name is Mark Russick. You're listening to the Russick Outlook. Thank you so much for joining today's topic, the mission, strategies, and tactics of Satan's militia. This is part two of a three-part series where uh, we're going to be focused on the gene pool of man, uh, how that was under attack in the book of Genesis, and then we can see some very, very interesting parallels straight up into uh modern day approaches so we're going to be uh covering all of this There's a lot of information to cover i laid what i thought was a pretty good foundation for the impetus of satan uh in in part 1 so if you haven't listened to that if you could that would be advisable i'll, I'll just very very briefly uh touch on that and then zip right into it because there is so much information to cover here uh and uh let me just pause for a second Uh, If you wouldn't mind, if you could hit the like and the subscribe button, uh, whatever platform you're on, be it YouTube or the different podcast platforms and Google and Spotify and Apple, uh, that really helps us get the information out. Uh, I'm very appreciative of that and share the information. We're on the different social media platforms as well. And, you know, if if this information rings true with you or uh, is of interest, uh, because again, the bottom line for me is always getting to the heart of truth, no matter where it leads. And we will certainly be focused on the Word of God, but we'll take other sources into account. Last, I'm just going to very quickly ask you, if you wouldn't mind, to please go over to the Rustic Outlook and uh, sign up for our email list. It's 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 free. We don't do anything with it other than inform you when new topics are coming out. And there's a number of things that are happening this year. That I I would love your participation if you could. uh, We're going to be doing some live uh, uh, interaction, uh, like a a Zoom type uh, approach where we're going to be having the the live audience where you can ask questions, stop, pause, offer your insight. And uh, the way you get that information, the way you get the link and the password is being on our email list. So we're excited about that. We're also uh, I believe in February, we're going to be adding some new video portions to this uh, um, approach. We're building a, a small studio, which I'm very excited about. So, uh, you know, just trying to do whatever we can to get the truth and the relevancy uh, of the veracity of Christ and scriptures. So uh, that, that's, that's kind of the mission and the mindset here. So uh, on that note, let me get into this. I hope you'll enjoy it. So sit back and get ready. So part one, this is just a very, very brief touch on it. Uh, This has to do with a ton of information in the first three verses of Genesis Uh, 1-3. And I really went into very explicit detail in the first part. Uh, But in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And there was, and and I gave a lot of scriptural examples, there was angels there, there was Lucifer at the time, Uh, there was a celebration when the galaxies were created and God's perfection uh, and the beauty and the majesty of God's creation was on full display for uh, everyone, all of the angelic beings and the hosts of heaven. And then verse two says, now the earth was unformed and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. So obviously God Uh, does not make something that's unformed and void and darkness would not be upon the face of the deep. So the point here is this was another step in the process and I outlined how how Satan had uh, um, fallen from grace, if you will, and he had committed sin. He kind of wanted to exalt himself above the throne rooms of God, Uh, puffed himself up that he was going to be the leading authority and, and, and I covered all of that. So that was the fall of Satan before man came on the scene. And then in verse 3 we see, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And then the creation process, to which we uh, all are very, very familiar with, began. But my point here is that a lot of people go from verse 1 to verse 3, and they skip verse 2. And that's very, very important uh, because it really sets the stage for the fall of man and sin. So that was kind of a lot of what I covered, giving you a lot of scriptural backgrounds in part one, and I just wanted to touch on that, so off we go. So now with the creation of man and the fall of of Lucifer, who is now named Satan— uh, we have the beginning of God creating man. So, if you're following me on video, it it now says, and now Adam now had dominion. But there's three important verses that I want to focus on. That I that I, I you know beginning with the creation of man, and God said, "Let us make man in our image, after our likeness." So notice the words "our." So that's Father, Son, Holy Spirit was present in the beginning. And again, I laid this out in part one, and so whenever there's an end, there's a step that, uh, that happens before that, and then there's something coming afterwards. So it says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, the cattle over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So that's where, you know, you know the first stage was set. But I also wanted to very briefly point out where the scripture says, and, and there's so many examples of it, that God speaks the end from the beginning. And notice what it says here, and God said. So he spoke it let us make man in our image after our likeness. And it happened. So he spoke it first and it happened. And, and, you know, he gives the thoughts of let them have dominion over the fish and so forth. So verse 27, and God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created, male and female he created, uh, created he them. So verse 26, he speaks it, tells you tells the thoughts Uh, It's almost like counsel of of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Verse 27, it comes to pass after what he spoke. Verse 28, and God blessed them. And God said, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, every living thing that creeps upon the earth. So he's given man what I'm going to say is the title deed of the earth. Where that was once under the auspices of of Lucifer and and the angels, uh, they have now fallen from grace, or at least you know a part of Satan's allegiance, and now God says, "I have created man in my image." So he's cr- this is this is such an incredible monumental uh, uh, revelation, if you will, that you know I think it's oftentimes glossed over just how incredibly special and unique we are in the eyes of the Lord. So there you have that. Now, and again, I'll describe this for the podcast listeners, but I've got a a little bit of a graph going across with some uh, what's called clip art. Um, But this kind of outlines where sin began, and I'm not going to go into all that. I know everybody's familiar with with Adam's fall. and then you have what I say is uh, Satan's death sentence, which was Genesis 3.15. So this is after the fall of man. And it says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between seed, uh, thy seed and her seed. So there's two seeds there. It shall bruise thy head and thou, thy shall bruise his heel. So it's very, very important that God that has his seed and Satan has his seed. So let me kind of sum something up here. When Adam and Eve fell for Satan's suggestion to eat the forbidden tree, Satan became their master, and all authority was legally transferred to him. I would say that he was now given the title deed back to him for earth, or it was handed over to him uh, from Adam and Eve and, and the sin. The earth is filled with evil because Adam and Eve gave Satan authority to rule over the earth. So as a result of man's disobedience to God, you now enter or open the doors for contamination, decay, disease, and death uh, into the earth. So let me read now Genesis six one through eight. So we've laid out the foundation. We've laid out the creation of uh, the creation account, the creation of man. Man sins. The 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 first uh, prophecy that's given in the Bible is Genesis three fifteen. So let me now jump to verse uh, Genesis chapter six where we're going to be concentrating a lot on this in the Nephilim, Uh, this is going to set the stage for a lot of what I believe is part of uh, a Lucifer or or, uh, Satan's plan and strategy. So, and it came to pass when man began to multiply in the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men, they were fair. And I'm going to break this down for you in a second. But sons of God are the angels of the Lord. And in this case, we're talking about the fallen angels. And they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for he is also of flesh. His days shall be 120 years. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. The same, mighty men became, or the same mighty men which were of old, men of renown. And, God, and this is basically what's referred to as the Nephilim in, in the Hebrew translation. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only for evil continually. And it repented the Lord, and he made man on the earth, and it grieved him in his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man, beast, and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air for repentance that I have made them, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So uh basically and, and I'll break this down into the implications of this with the Nephilim, but then you know we we, we all know the accounts of the flood and Noah, so I'm not going to get into all of that, but inevitably this timeline that I'm laying out for you goes from the sin to Genesis three fifteen to the Nephilim which I just read we all know about Satan and I'm sorry uh, Noah and and the flood the birth of Jesus which inevitably leads to the fulfillment of Genesis 315 the crucifixion and resurrection which is the ultimate fulfillment uh the resurrection of Jesus so all of this when Genesis 315 and that declaration comes out Satan is aware that this his death sentence has been has been set forth and decreed, and now he fights with, you know, it's almost like, for lack of a better expression, a caged animal, or an animal trapped in a corner, or it doesn't even have to be, you know, it could be man, you know, that you'll do anything and try everything to get, to get out of it, to escape, to free yourself. but he obviously we know that, or if you know the Lord, you know that that escape is futile, but nonetheless, the efforts are there, and the implications for what mankind faces today is certainly there as well. So the flood occurred in 2348 BC. I'll, granted, I'll give you a couple of years here and there, and I'm not going to get into how we know all of that, but, you know, just suffice to say, uh, you know, I've broken that down in the past, and you can find that out Uh, very close. But I wanted to get into the meaning of the Nephilim and and the Nephilim here. So if you're following me on video, on the right-hand side, I have three things highlighted, where in Genesis 6-4 it says, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of man. So you have three distinct characters here, Nephilim, sons of God, daughters of men. And then it goes on to say, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive and they took wives as they chose. So if you go back to the meaning of Nephilim, uh, it, it means fallen ones. Jewish scholars in 250 BC translated the Old Testament into Greek, which was, you know, translating uh, the book of Genesis, obviously, into gigentes, which means titans, this implies that they were part God, higher being, and part human or half-breeds, similar to what you would know in Greek mythology today. Uh, the scholars picked a term that the Greeks would r- readily understand, and they certainly did. So the Nephilim are basically their mutant children from the sons of God, fallen angels, and the daughters of men. Uh, the the uh, uh, the uh, root word in Nephilim means to be cast down, to fall away, to desert fail or reject and haba ha, gibianum means the mighty ones so again gigantes uh for for hispanics you know they would say gigantes or gihantes um the nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards so that becomes important because that could potentially set the stage for we see the nephilim and the giants and the implications we're going to cover a lot of this after the flood so here Uh, It was designed to remove them before the flood, but yet we're going to approach uh, the the Nephilim after the flood as well, and we're going to, I believe, cover the reasons why. So I'd like to cover some other uh, um, references to this time besides the book of Genesis. I'm going to be looking specifically at the book of Enoch, Jubilees, and the writings of the historian Josephus, And, uh, you know, specifically when it comes to Jubilees and Enoch, I'm not implying that this is the Word of God. Uh, However, there's very, very good reasons to look at this and to consider some of the things written. But also in these instances and these examples, and there are many others, where it really lines up exactly with uh, what the Word of God is saying, I'm saying, uh, or I'm phrasing this as it's harmonizing uh, with with the Word of God. There's there's a very, very high degree of harmonization. What do I mean by that? Well, let me give you the example here. Genesis 6, 1 through 2, or verse 2. Uh, 1 through 2, I'll take them both. When man began to multiply in the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took wives as they chose. We've covered that. What does Enoch say? And it came to pass when the children of men had multiplied, in those days were born unto them, Beautiful and comely daughters, and the angels, the children of the heaven, saw and lusted after them, and they said to one another, "Come, let us choose wives from among the children of men and beget us children." So notice that the motivation there is to come into the, into the women for the purpose of uh, multiplying uh, offspring or you know getting children. Jubilees 5.1, And it came to pass, when the children of men began to multiply in the face of the earth, and daughters of men, or daughters, were born to them, the angels of God saw them on a certain year of this jubilee, that they were beautiful to look upon. They took themselves wives of all whom they chose, and they bare unto them sons, that, and they were giants. Antiquities of the Jews, which is the writings of the historian Josephus, for many angels of God, accompanied with women and begat sons that were proven unjust, despisers of all that was good, on account of the confidence that they had in their own strength. for the tradition is that these men did what resembled the acts of those whom the grecians call giants. So let me flip over to Jude one through six, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority. But left their proper dwellings. So, again, before the fall of man, uh, um, or I'm sorry, after the fall of man, you had the fallen angels. But apparently, they were given a a place of authority or a, a, a an area, you know, almost like don't cross this line. But they crossed that line, and you know, they they defiled the women. So, and it says, goes on to say, he has kept them in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So this is the reference to where they go to Tartarus until, uh, 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 until the end, until the time of the end. So Second Peter 2 says this, For if God did not spare angels whom they sinned, we we're just talking about, but cast them into Tartarus and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. So there we have this account of, of what happened to these fallen angels after they committed this heinous act. Book of Jubilees five six and against the angels whom he had sent uh, upon the earth he was exceedingly wroth, and he gave commandment to root them out of their dominion. He bade us to bind them into the dip- depths of the earth, and behold, they are bound in the midst of them, the middle of the earth, and they're kept secret. So Jubilees lining up with what Second Peter says and what, what Jude says. So, you know, again, I'm just trying to point out there are other references to back this up in addition to the the, the accounts of the Word of God. So I want you to consider some things here. Uh, the reason for, for the flood was that there was a race of people on the earth that was not created by God. And what do I mean by that? Well, here we've given, given these examples. The daughters, the sons of God came into the daughters of men. So, on the left-hand side, I give you the the chromosomes. There's a double X chromosome uh, for a female. There's an XY chromosome for a male. But what happens when you mate an angelic being with a female? What does that chromosome look like? Or do they have chromosomes? So, that really gets into the genetics of the Nephilim. Um, The Nephilim contain genetic material similar to human DNA, right, because it's part woman, but it's constructed of a different substance, chemicals and properties, Instead of having X chromosomes as earthly humans, could Nephilim and hybrids have a different set of chemical codes that make up their existence? You know, it's, it's it's speculation, but I think it's more than fair, and I would say the answer to that is yes. Instead of DNA, could there be something such as an XYZ or some other code or package that, that, that makes this, and, and how the sons of God or the fallen angels, they were able to somehow reproduce Nephilim? apparently the sons of God they found a host in human women which they could reproduce all life was originally created by God and therefore must have some chemical code that reveals its genetic substance and I've covered this in the past and the the magnitude and the comp, the complicated um, code that we have which is our DNA uh, which makes every one of us completely unique and you know the, it's, it's a software code so it's similar to a software code that is far more sophisticated than anything that man or any type of supercomputer could even possibly put together. They, they, even with all the technology today, they still can't put anything as remotely close as what we have in our human DNA. So if a human and an angelic can, in fact, reproduce, what is it that, that it produces something different and is most likely has a common origin? God the creator, even if they, the parents, are different in their composition. So God obviously created that woman. But consider this. Couples today, when they give birth to children, they may be carrying on a genetic birth defect. We all, you know, we're all aware of that. So could this genetic birth defect come from the Nephilim and could more of you know, their offspring be carrying or almost magnifying or, or exaggerating that genetic defect? reproduction by a human and an angelic being will produce a humanoid child with a fa- fatalistic birth defect a being without the possibility of receiving god's redemption and that's really what what you know what we're talking about you've created a a race of people a a that's a freak it's a, it's 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 something that's part angelic being and and part uh human but it does not, it's not created by God, and that's really what we're talking about. So if you go back to Genesis 2-7, and Elohim, mean, meaning the Lord, which is the reference in Hebrew, formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of lives, and the man became a living being. So God breathed this, and, and so we are God's creation. The human seed is sacred because we are made in the image of God. I've covered this. So what is Satan doing here? He is distorting the Word of God and the image of God and the creation of God by by bringing his into it, and what is the motivation behind it? And I believe it's to stop uh, the, the offspring of the Messiah, and, and we'll cover that. So I'm showing you on, on video here. Different examples that we can readily see today, because, I, you know, I may be describing something to somebody here that you go, oh man, that's, that, this guy's out there, it's too far out there. But you can look around the world today and see so many skeletal excavations of these giants, 18, 20, and maybe even as high as 30 feet, and I'm giving you plenty of pictures and images here. And in addition to that, we can't, uh, you know, look at these megalithic structures around the world you know, we kind of gloss over it or the world glosses over it like, you know, how did they come to be? And without the uh, influence or the impact from something outside of this world, it could not possibly be. And again, I'm going to give you plenty more examples. And, there, you know, there's hundreds more than what I'm showing you on this one page. The pyramids, consider the pyramids, just how precise they were. The foundation is cut through with the cutting and laying of blocks. We're all familiar with that, and, and you. but they're so precise that they're within two hundredths of an inch, and then you go into some of these, and, and the, 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 the largest one, the Pyramid of Giza, it lines up specifically with certain cellular constellations, and I've covered this in the past as well. But, you know, what I'm getting at is the, the, the um, magnificence of these structures could not have been done by man. And, and I would say that this was the input of the Nephilim, of uh, these, these part angelic beings coming in and laying the groundwork and, and putting things on the earth that would offset the, the uh, uh, multiplication of man. Stonehenge, 45 to 50 tons, and they have pins and sockets in them. Um, the Colossus of Mimon, each was carved from a single block, weighing a 1,000 tons. We're all familiar with Easter Island and the human heads there. You know, some of these are as many as 13 feet high, 14 tons in, in, in weight. How do you, how you know, man could not have done this. I'm going to give you some some information here from uh, Puma Punku. Uh, this is one of the most intriguing ones. It's, it's a terraced earthen mound. Uh, It's faced with megalithic blocks weighing several tens of tons. The red sandstone and the stones were cut in such a precise way that they perfectly fit and they locked into each other without using mortar. And it's it's an artistic creation. The technical finesse and precision displayed in these blocks is astounding. You cannot even fit a razor blade between them. That's how how tight it is some of these blocks are finished with machine quality they have drills uh, holes that were drilled with them to perfection and and we're supposed to believe that this was done by some ancient civilization come on another uh, last example is is the bolas grandes uh balls that are are, are uh, over 16 tons 10 feet high and there's thousands of them in the fields there's uh, in, in in I think it's Bolivia they, they have cups that are 10 feet high and several tons um, and, and I believe there's close to a hundred of them in the field. but my point is these giants existed they were there they you know we, we have the evidence throughout the earth and interestingly up until the 1950s or 60s uh, they were regularly reported sightings of, of, of giants and it was covered in the major uh, uh, publications. But somehow or another that stopped and just a, a side note getting off track here um, <clears throat> you this really defies evolution and the evolutionists really don't want you to know about this because then it implies that man grew to be a giant and then came back down again so that that in of itself you know messes with the theory of evolution but you know you get the point what you know what I'm getting at here is there's so much evidence all around us you don't have to specifically you know line up with the Word of God. To, to bear this out, but the Word of God, you know, puts things in motion, and it gives you the reasons that we see these things, and now we understand how they were built, or the purpose behind them, and what the motivation was. We have reasons, and unless, you know, you understand the validity of the Word of God and the significance of it, then you're going to be dumbfounded, so you understand why the world just kind of glosses over this, and, and they don't really get into it, and they don't want to address, address the the pink elephant in the room. So I'd like to fast forward to many scriptures here post-flood. So, you know, and the reason is a lot of people are confused by this. And, you know, if the Lord was sent the flood to eliminate the Nephilim and and the evil that was throughout creation at that time, then well, how and why do we see this account of of the Nephilim again? And I want to point out here that some of the verses and scriptures I'll read you know, makes no question about it. They were here. So uh, Numbers, you know, for those familiar, you know, this is where uh, Moses was w- sent out the spies, and, and they came back, and they were inundated, and they were intimidated. Uh, and I'll, Numbers 13 is, is what I'm reading from. And let me go down to verse 33, and this is what they said. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak. That was one of the tribes. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. I show you a picture of a grasshopper on a man's hand. So think of a grasshopper compared to the size of a man. This is how what they're reporting that these giants looked like to them, that they were grasshoppers in their eyes, and they were giants, uh, you know, from, from their perspective. And we know that uh, Caleb and Joshua, you know, said, "Hey, we can beat these giants." We can take them, but the bulk of the report of the spies came back. They were scared stiff. Um, some other examples: First Samuel fifteen three. Now go and spite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. So you know right away this is not the Lord that we know and understand. You know why is God saying, "Hey, you need to to wipe them out." kill every man and woman every infant every suckling all of the animals and this will come into play in in, in part 3 of this we, you know why why are we getting into this we, you know this is not who the lord's nature is and why because these are uh, it's sin it, they, these are the nephilim and their offspring and and everything about them is evil everything because it it reeks of satan so you know there you have another example Deuteronomy 311 Behold, his bed was a bed of iron. This is king of Og. Uh, It is not in Reba of the Ammonites, nine cubits in length and four cubits in breadth, according to the common cubit. If we were to break that down, in other words, he's saying that this bed was 18 and three-quarter feet long and 8.3 feet wide. Again, it's almost 19 feet long was his bed and eight and a half feet wide. Deuteronomy 20, 16 through 8. Um, but of the cities of these people, which the Lord thy God gives thee for an inheritance, thou shalt save alive nothing that breathes. You shall utterly destroy them, namely the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, and the Pezzarites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, as the Lord has commanded you. I, I am highlighting Canaanites here. And why? If you look at Genesis 9 through eight, verse 18, it says Ham was the father of Canaan. Ham was one of Noah's sons. And there you're saying the Canaanites are a tribe and Ham is the father. So somehow or another, that genetic offspring was infested or came out from his his heritage, his lineage after the flood. And, you know, we, we how do you explain that? And I'll, I'll give you some possible reasons for it. One of them, some people believe that it could be uh, there, there is an account, I believe it is in a Book of Jasper, where the women were selected a week before the flood, uh, before the ark was sealed, and they left. So as we talked about uh, um, genetic, um, uh, what, what's the word, uh, genetic defects or deficiencies could have been in their wives, and then that could have been part of the reason. So in other words, you know, one of the wives' um family you know could have been infested with this we don't know we don't know, we don't know i mean it's it's certainly possible. it's a little bit of a stretch. I'm going to give you some another reason that I think we can go there and again, this is because the Bible does not offer any specific account of uh the sons of God coming into the daughters of men post flood deuteronomy seven one through five. Uh, When the Lord God brings you into the land which you go to possess and cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, again, the Canaanites, the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. These are the the, the tribes that were there, and it was laid out, and I'm going to show you on a map here on the right, of Abraham, you know, going through this whole area, and we've been able to cover where many of these tribes were, and it infested the whole entire land uh, and you know if you're if you're following me on podcast if you can get to the video and I, and I show you this just you know how prevalent these these tribes were um i'm also going to point out here Amos two 29 i god destroyed the amorite before them though he was tall as the cedars and strong as the oaks. How tall is a cedar tree? How strong is an oak? These are freakish beings. Uh, let us not forget, you know, David and Goliath. Goliath, if you break it down into the biblical measurements, 13 feet, six fingers. Um, you know, and, and another interesting one, I, I think, is Deuteronomy 9.2. And this is Moses saying, who can stand against the sons of Anak? Remember, Moses came through the Red Sea, he saw the miracles in Egypt, he saw the parting of the Red Sea, but yet he's so, you know, I, I, I don't want to say intimidated, but, you know, he's, he's looking, scratching his head. Obviously, these are tremendously huge, giant beings that, you know, you, you've got to get your head around. Let me give you some translations of some of these tribes, uh, you know, that we're talking about. Nephilim, violent or fallen ones, we've covered that. The Raphaim, uh, which is the dead, and it's because of their sight that makes people fearful, and they melt like wax. An example of, it was uh, Goliath and Gath and his brothers. Anakim, which are the sons of Anak, we covered, because they wore huge necklaces in great numbers. So they were, you know, they're covering themselves in jewelry. Zanzumim, uh, because they were great wa- warriors and they inspired fear. Emim, because of the great size, whoever saw them, they were seized with terror. Giborim, because their brains or the cranium were uh, uh, enormously large. Avim, because they destroyed the world and were themselves destroyed. These are the translations of these tribes and what these meanings are as man saw them. So here you have this, you know, uh, and and there's many more examples, but my my point here is you've got plenty of, of Old Testament post-flood references to the Nephilim, to um, uh, the, the, these this, I, I would say, infestation of Satan's army throughout trying to thwart and stop the bloodline to the Messiah, and I'll cover that in, in a little bit. So here you go. What can we observe from this? The purpose of the flood was to cleanse the earth of its mortal and spiritual contamination. After the flood, God began a cleansing campaign in destroying the post-flood giants. This cleansing campaign included voluntary drafting man to be a part of God's army. We read in Leviticus 27 and 8 that he wanted Israel to be an elite group of people, an army that was disciplined and holy. God gave Israel a unique ethical and moral system that sets them apart. They the, the Jewish people gave us the Bible, which sets the world apart. They would be different from the rest of humanity. They were chosen. They were separated unto God for bringing about God's plan of redemption for the unredeemed man. This separation helped to preserve Israel throughout the ages from being absorbed and assimilated into the nations, nations that captured them and enslaved them. So I would say this, that if you look at all the pre-flood Nephilim, God took care of it. But what did he do? He called upon man to take care of the post-flood, he, and he enabled them. So, you know, the accounts of Joshua and Moses and others, that uh, he, you know, what, what does he say throughout Scripture? Be strong, be of courageous. Uh, you know, know that I am with you. Uh, so, you know, you know we, we see this again and again. So I would contend personally that God is showing man that with God all things are possible, and even your greatest adversaries, no matter how strong the devil may appear to you, he is nothing, nothing in the sight of God. Uh, I wanted to point out an interesting quote here that I I found, anyway. Uh, There's an ancient Jewish text where there's a description of giants that the Israelites conquered. And the text tells us that there, that of a leading rabbi, Yohanan ben Zakkai, who lived during the first half century, this was right after the destruction of the temple and the encounter with the Roman Empire uh, emperor, I'm sorry, Hadrian. Uh, this occurred at roughly A.D. 135. So remember, the Romans had co- come in and conquered. Uh, they, they've decimated Israel and Jerusalem, and I'll actually touch upon a little bit of that shortly with, with uh, Titus. But right after the Roman victory, uh, the Jews rebelled against the Romans. And it says this, The wicked emperor Hadrian, who conquered Jerusalem, boasted, I have conquered Jerusalem with great power. However, Rabbi Yohanan said to him, Do not boast. Had it not been for the will of heaven, you would not have conquered it. And the rabbi took Hadrian into a cave. He showed them the bodies of the Amorites who were buried there which says it could be measured 30 feet in height. And his answer was, when we were deserving, such men were defeated by us. But now, because of our sins, you have defeated us. So very, very interesting. Uh, then you go on to Josephus, and I mentioned this uh, earlier, and, and, you know, very, very famous uh, Jewish historian Um so he writes this, for which reasons they removed their camp to Hebron when they had taken it, they slew all the inhabitants. They were they were tilled till then left the race of the giants who had bodies so large and countenances so entirely different from other men, they were surprising to the sight, terrible to the hearing. The bones of these men are still shown to this very day, unlike other uh, unlike to any credible relations of other men. So there you have another uh, uh, first-century historian giving you the account of these giants and that the fact that if you don't believe me, you can go and look at the bones yourself. So here's something that I think is, is worth considering for how these giants may have come to be post-flood. I'm going to point out something here. Uh, let me go to First 1 Corinthians 15.39. This is the Apostle Paul and he says this, all flesh is not the same flesh. But there is one kind of flesh for man, another for beasts, another for fish, and another for birds. Now, that shouldn't come as, you know, any, any great shock to anyone unless you're an evolutionist. Um, what is Genesis 6-7? It says this, And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I created from the face of the earth, both man, beast, and creeping thing, and fowls of the air, for repents me that I made them. Notice he does not mention fish. And obviously on the ark, it's not like you would have an aquarium on there. So, you know, my point here is that the underwater uh, life more than likely, you know, survived and possibly thrived in some instances. Could some of these Nephilim gone underwater? Could they have survived some of this? I don't know, but I would say that it's certainly a possibility um, Genesis seven nineteen through twenty three, and all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both the fowl, the cattle, the beast, every creeping thing that was upon the earth, and every man, all whose nostrils was the breath of life, and all that was in the dry land died. So it doesn't say anything about what the life that was in the sea. And every living substance was destroyed, which was upon the ground, both man and cattle and the creeping things and the fowl of the heaven, they were destroyed from the earth. So there's no mention of fish. Other things that I would just kind of like to allude to, um, Satan is, is, is mentioned in scripture as that ancient serpent. Serpent is a sea-like creature um, and the great dragon, he's also called Leviathan and Leviathan is another sea-like creature. Revelation twelve nine and the great dragon which is Satan, that serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown with him. So you know my point here is your your he, he's, uh, scripture alludes to the fact that Satan is uh, a, a a type of serpent that has some type of dwelling in the sea. The other interesting thing I find is if you look at uh, the book of Jonah and the account of of going down, it's not literally into the belly of the whale as you know some of the the, the children's fables would say it, but it, it's literally was the Lord took him into hell, and hell is at the bottom uh, of the ocean uh, floors. And I, I've covered this before, and, and you know I've done a story on a story, I've done an account of this of Jonah and how we know this is hell, and it's. Uh, one of the things, and, I, and I've covered this, was the origins and the locations of hell. So I show you the account on the right-hand side. What happens when he's he's finally set free, he's put back onto the earth, and he carries the message. Um, Revelation 21 says this. This is when we're coming into the end of, of, of the age of the millennium, and it says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I have to tell you, this troubled me for a long time because I love the ocean. I live near the ocean. Um, I, I, I really do. And I was like, ah, oh, no more sea. And I would contend that, you know, part of that reason is you can attribute that, you know, Satan is seen in the sea, that the, you know, uh, the, the the beast on the shoreline. Um, I, I, I think there's a correlation there. And it's only speculation on my part But I I think it's fairly reasonable. The other interesting thing here is I'm showing you some um, photos, and this is getting into very briefly on the UFOs, that was released by the United States government. Uh, These are military photos, and some of them you can go find on YouTube, and there's videos one, two, three minutes long, and you hear the accounts of the pilots and how they're engaging um, and how they just, you know, defy any type of speed, like, thousands of miles an hour, they can stop in, uh, on a dime. But in a couple of instances, they dive into the water, and they're not seen, and they lose track of them. So, you know, is there a correlation there? I don't know. I mean, it's certainly possible. So, you know, my, my point is that there's a, there's a gap there. We don't really understand everything of how the Nephilim and, and, and Satan's army came about in the Old Testament post-flood but these are certainly some possibilities. I'm looking at Scripture. I'm deducting some things here that I think is fairly reasonable. You know, that's that's up for you to decide. So let's get into, as we wind this down, exactly what is the mission and the strategies of what I would say our enemy is. And I would say the initial uh, mission was to stop the seed of the Messiah. We know this from Genesis 3.15. So before the birth of Christ, Satan ferociously attempted to destroy the Hebrews. Children of Israel, they were in Egypt. Satan implanted hatred for the Hebrews in in the heart of Pharaoh. We know this. He ordered systematic killing of all of Israel's male children because they would carry the seed that eventually would be brought forth from Mary. Um, So, you know, we see this, this account in the Old Testament and you see that they were going to kill Moses and then Moses was, was put down in, in the um, uh, type of container. I forget how they described it, but put down the Nile and was raised. Uh, and then, so Pharaoh gave the order that every boy who was born must be thrown into the Nile, but let every girl live. We find this in Genesis Exodus 1, 22. We know that God spared many of the children, including Moses. So fast forward, once they entered into the promised land, the Israelites began a long series of battles against a host of enemy nations that had giants in their ranks. And it began at Jericho. When the Lord, your God, brings you into the land which you go to possess, and we've, you know, we've covered this scripture, the Hittites, the Gigashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, Persites, Hivites, Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. But fear not, the Lord is with you. He continues his attacks. um, You know, even before the children of Israel uh, reached their promised land. Remember the, you know, the corruption of Adam's line, the the Canaanites, and when when they populated God's promised land, even before Abraham arrived, the corruption of Abraham and Sarah, Pharaoh and King Abimelech. Uh, You can find this in Genesis chapters twelve and twenty. The famine to the Jewish people out of the land, Genesis chapter forty one. Uh, you know, that's really the, you know, the account of, of Joseph, the destruction of the male line in Moses' day, Pharaoh's pursuit, uh, uh, Balaam's evil advice to intermarry with the Hebrews, Numbers, chapters 22. Uh, from So from the time of God's promise to Abraham, to Moses, Satan had 400 years to thwart God's plan. So he populated uh, Canaan with a minefield of the remnants of the Nephilim. Genesis 15, on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euph- Euphrates. And he goes on to mention these tribes. So this is a covenant that God made. He knew what Satan was going to do. He knew the, the he knew the chess pieces, you know, way in advance what the, what the plan was, but he enabled man with the authority of God to overcome the, the, uh, the, the attempts to undermine the Messiah, and then afterwards. So let's continue. Unless we comprehend the gravity of the situation, you will never understand why God gave Joshua the command to wipe out tribes. Every man, woman, child. Why? Because there was a gene problem. And I will say he, the same thing would be for the animals. And I'm going to cover that in, in the next section. Uh, they were contaminated both spiritually and genetically. I mean, he tried to destroy the royal line of King David, knowing that David's descendants leads to the Messiah. He knew this. The royal house of King David is singled out from Satan. We can point 10 separate attacks on the bloodline from David to Jesus. He continues his attack. Remember King Herod, well, you know he was obsessed. He was going to kill every child because uh, the, the, uh, um, the wise men, you know, they, they left and they didn't come back to him to tell him where Jesus was. So he issues the command to kill every boy ten two years and younger. Um, you know, but, but the Lord reveals the plot to, to, uh, to Joseph and Mary and they go on into Egypt. Um, but, but, you know, we see so many examples of this and then, you know, it's continued afterwards and continued into the Hebrews and the Israelis. Uh, remember the the Roman army was convinced they needed to crucify Christ um, you, you know it that, that went on you you know it, you, 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 you know you, you think about the hatred that we have today or that exists today towards the Jewish people. you certainly think about the Holocaust and World War II. But you know, there was over close to a million Jews that were supposedly uh, destroyed in seventy A.D. When you know when Titus came and destroyed the temple, he burned the city, he slaughtered uh, as many as one million Jews. Then you think of the Crusades, the Middle Ages, tens of thousands, the the Spanish Inquisition. They expelled Jews in fourteen ninety two, the same year that that that. Uh, Columbus sailed for America. Jews were expelled from Spain. And incidentally, side note, there was a red, blue, red, blue, red blood moons, four successive ones, 1492, 1493. Side note, it's a bonus piece. Uh, Then you think about today. Where are we at today? You know, think about the last 60, 70 years Egypt, Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, Iraq, attacking uh, Israel, the Palestinians, Hezbollah, Hamas. you know, and then you know the United Nations. Over ninety-seven percent of the United Nations consistently vote to condemn Israel. There was twenty votes of condemnation this past year alone. Fourteen of them were towards Israel. Imagine that. Fourteen. And then, you know, any of these other nations that commit these vast atrocities against human life, no. But fourteen against the against the Jewish people. Uh, but nonetheless, God's hand is upon them. So. For 4,000 years, this existence, uh, you know, it was it was the blessing of the Lord was upon him. Uh, I'm going to read from you Isaiah 1111. Uh, 11. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time. First time was the Babylonian captivity, the second time. So even here, he's the, the, the splendor of, 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 of prophecy, we can see it with our own eyes. Israel came to be a second time, just as Isaiah said, uh, to reclaim the remnant that is left of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, Upper Egypt, Cush, Elam, Babylonia, Hamath, and from the lands of the sea. This is the seed that that is promised. Since the moment that God had pronounced the curse, Satan realized his days were numbers. The strategies, the implications, the uh, plans went into motion. How can we wipe out the seed of the Messiah? And then when that failed... How can we wipe out the remnant, uh, you know, the people of Israel, they putting in the hatred of, of, of the Jewish people, and he will attack the Jewish people, and he will, well, I'm not going to get into all of that here. That's that's, that's that's for another day. But he knows that his days are limited, and eternal damnation is his punishment and his destiny. Very briefly, giving you some examples of what we call the Antichrist in history. Uh, King Herod, you know, we, we talked about Titus wiping out and destroying Israel and the Jewish people, murdering a mi- uh, over a million Jews. King Nebuchadnezzar, when he uh, overcame and destroyed uh, Israel and brought the uh, Jewish people back to to Babylon. Pharaoh, we've covered him. Judas Iscariot, uh, he is actually called the son of perdition. Nimrod, uh, you know, the, the Tower of Babel, you know, the first one world government. Uh, Antiochus Theus Epiphanes. This is really, if you, you you can find this in 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 Daniel eight seven eight seven through fourteen, he lays out exactly what this would happen. Uh, I guess that's about over a thousand years later. The description outlined fits one of the most invasive and desolating figures in Jewish history. Uh, Antiochus the Fourth Epiphanes, who in in one seventy BC. Began a national campaign to end Judaism and replace it with a Hellenistic culture. He even minted coins after himself, which kind of translated to the God Manifest. He erected an idol of Zeus Olympius, which was the chief god of the of the Greeks. Besides the temple's great altar, he banned Jewish practices, uh, including the regular daily sacrifices, and he offered swine. Which is unclean animals for Jews as sacrifices in the altar, so he kind of thumbed his nose at, at God, he introduced foreign images and practices into the holy place, really kind of bringing about the first abomination of desolation, just as it was laid out in in Daniel chapter eight. Um, so you know you have all of these different examples, Adolf Hitler, obviously, if you think about uh Satan would have been very familiar and knowing that all of the israelites we're coming back to the land of Israel. The Hebrews were coming back. They were on the uh, cusp of forming a nation. What does he do beginning in the late 30, mid to late 30s? Brings about Hitler and, again, instills this hatred of the Jews where uh, 6 million Jews are, are eliminated in Germany, 11 million in, in, in all of Europe. So, you know, you see these plans and these strategies which first began in Genesis 6-4 with the Nephilim. So interestingly, and I'm winding this down, <clears throat> Jesus said, for when he, he was asked by his disciples, what will be the signs of your coming again for the second coming of Jesus? He said this, for as were the days of Noah, so will it be for the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. So kind of carrying on their lives as normal, moving along with the flow, totally, totally ambivalent of things that were happening and things that are around them, which is kind of what I would like to just point out here. We're going to go into great depth in in the next section, in part three, but let me wind this down. You have today gene editing, gene splicing, which alters the DNA. Uh, Some of the examples I'm going to show you are some of the things that they've been looking at, uh, laying the groundwork for a lot of the Vaccines that they're coming up with with dealing with coronavirus and and Omicron and some of those other things. But what what's interesting is there's something called CRISPR, and I I outline this this here. Um, but they're cutting into your DNA and they're splicing it and they're modifying it. So I'm giving you the the layman's breakdown of this. Uh, so this is happening today. This technology is happening today. Uh, they're able to do this and these vaccine. Uh, some of what the things that they're talking about implementing is nanobots, which would be a programmable chip that could be put into your body. Um, and interestingly enough, they can be, uh, programmed at 60 megahertz, which is the frequency for 5G. So, you know, is, is that coincidence or not? I don't know. And, you know, there's talks about 6G already, but you know, my point here is that they have this capability already, uh. I would just say this the Holy Spirit indwells in Christians. But this could be the potential counterfeit by allowing Satan to dwell in humans that will be programmed by forces that he controls. And we're going to get into this in the last part three of this section of this uh series, where we're going to really cover a lot of uh the similarities to what we see and uh today as outlined in, in the book of Revelation. So, you know, my point here is that this technology is here. And let me just give you an example of how this may work. This technology is in place. I've covered this before in the past, but we all know about cloud technology, and it covers so many different industries. Um, and you can cover every part of the world. So I'm showing you an inf- an example, and I, I and I have some corporate logos up here, and it's not meant that they're involved in this. This is only a hypothetical of how a turnkey global system. Of totalitarianism yeah, easy for me to say uh, could work and that the the technology is in place so if you were to take an injection whether it's a vaccine or not and i'm not saying the vaccine is the mark of the beast quite frankly it's not and i'm not even talking about whether you should take it or not but all i'm saying is a lot of the groundwork and technology is being laid here possibly to be implemented in the future but it's almost like an operating system. So I give you the example of Microsoft, that it's not just, you know, uh, a, a medicine, so to speak. Because remember, they can track you. They know whether you took it or not, or that's the implication of where they want to get to, I should say. And if you have this in you, they can also do an update. So much as like you have a computer at home, we're all familiar with our, uh, our, our, our phones, our Androids, our iPhones. If we get an Apple update, Uh, a firmware update, a software update. This could be the same type of thing where they could be downloading more information to you moving forward. Again, this is what would occur in the tribulation, a type of scenario. I I, I just want to stress this. I'm I'm not saying this is the case today at all, but a lot of the impetus is already there. And then you would in turn be able to Get that information, help your family, your family's family, and so forth and so on, and it multiplies. Uh, I I looked at some of the things that stand out from 2020, some of the news, big on the one world order, big on one world currency, mark of the beast, the technology, what we're talking about is here. We all have, even today, I I have an Apple phone. I can walk in, I can just show my wrist, and I can, you know, purchase something, or they'll know my information. Digital tattoos, you know, have you been vaccinated or not? And then the great amount of tension that we have. There's something called the Digital Identity Alliance. And there's a push to say we need to get digital right or digital ID. So everybody will have a number. Hmm, interesting. Everybody will have a digital ID, much like you do today with many of your accounts. Uh, Microsoft, interestingly, is, is part of that. The Rockefeller Foundation, I give you some others. There's a whole host more. But digital identification, you know, is a big push. So my my point here is, you know, you can see, and I say it's the Babylon Information Data Center because Babylon would be the the name or location for uh, the one world government, that that potentially is a type of model that they can use. And you would have AI in the cloud in this so that you can control, you know, uh, your, your, your currency. Because remember... In in this scenario, I'm giving you the example of of health and the vaccine, but they're gonna know your DNA information. They're harvesting your DNA information. I'll tell you right now, China uh is is in charge of almost 80% of their um uh the companies that are harvesting this this DA, this information is going to them. Your banking information, your business information, your health information, where you're located, uh So do you have this? Are you able to travel? You know, we see all this today. All of this is going on around us. Uh, They'll know whether your family, you know, has the vaccine or not and is able to travel. Uh, So Revelation says that you have to have this mark to buy, eat, and sell. So what, you know, what, what I'm getting at here is the groundwork is being laid. And if you take this mark, it can potentially impact your DNA. It can potentially impact gene editing. And again, you know, I believe that this would happen during the seven-year tribulation. And I am one who firmly believes that there will be a rapture before this happens for the people of God. But again, I'm, I'm kind of bringing you from Genesis up to here that the tactics, the strategies of Satan and his militia are much in, in line of what they've been doing for thousands of years. And, and what's at stake is their survival, and the title deed of earth, because if they can make God's word null and void, then game over. But we know you know, that that's impossible for those of you who know the Lord. So, hopefully you, you uh, enjoyed information like this. I know it was a little bit of a whirlwind and a roller coaster, I covered a lot. I'm going to cover a lot more in the final uh, three-part series. I will give you a, a hint that we're going to look at things right up from Revelation, what we can see around us today. But also, I'm going to get into a lot of the genetics of animals and how we can go back to Genesis and how we see that today. And I will say, you know, hold on to your seat in part three because I'm going to talk about the dinosaurs and how that may be relevant. So, uh, you know, again, if you like information like this, please share it. Please let people know. And um, Or if you disagree or agree, I'd, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, send a comment to Russic Outlook at Gmail or, or make a comment on the platforms that you're either listening or watching us. Uh I, I, I'm happy to do that. And most importantly, if you do not know the Lord, if you're sitting on the fence you're just not sure, please consider it now. You the, you just don't know when Jesus will return. Nobody knows. And uh, um it's a, it's it it will be the greatest decision not only for eternity, but for the here and now. So if you're not sure, ask the Lord to show himself to you. I promise you he will. If you need a good church in your area, please shoot me an email. I'll do my best to, to find one, a good Bible-believing church, or reach out to friends who, who know the Lord. Ask them questions or comments. That in and of itself is the most important thing that I can say in any of this here. So again, thank you so much for listening. You've been listening to The Russick Outlook. And remember, as always, just my opinion.